Well, this morning, I get to introduce our speaker. Um, he is the founder of the Adventures in Truth Biblical Exploration Team. He actually was here last year. Some of you went to his seminar. Uh, Jim has founded, uh, found quite a few artifacts, some of the most unique artifacts about the Ark of the Covenant, and you'll hear more about it today. He's also written numerous books, and I want to encourage you, after the service, he has a table over there, and there's a sheet where you can order some of his books and resources. I would encourage you to take advantage of that, because there are great, great resources. One fun fact about Jim, and I asked him before uh, uh, introducing him this morning, uh, I found out a, a funny thing. He was at our local outreach we had. Remember the Family Fun Day? And we had a karaoke section. And he was singing, and one of the, the folks leading it said, wow, you, you have a good voice. And he said, well, I, I did do, and he mildly said this, I did do backup for the Beach Boys and, you know, Neil Diamond and stuff. And we're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so that's a fun fact, not on his official resume, but he also attends with us here at MCC, and it's a privilege to have him this morning. Would you please welcome Jim Rankin? Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to be back. Uh, we've been on the road for several months, and uh, we literally travel all the time now. And, and we're so thankful to be back and, and get to share the story with you. And, you know, God has opened up a lot of doors for us and um, been able to share a lot of different things. And today we're going to take you on an adventure. Uh, this is unlike anything you've ever seen before, and uh, we're so uh, just thankful every time we have that opportunity to share. We are Adventures in Truth. We are a biblical exploration and a missions team project. But today we're going to take you to a place you probably have never seen before. But I want to preface all of this and share with you how this all began. Um, how many have been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee? Anybody? A few of you? Okay, a couple of you at least. We were on a family trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And uh, I woke up at one o'clock in the morning with one thing on my mind. The Lord put the Ark of the Covenant on my mind. That was it. I woke up. My wife said, being the good wife, she said, would you lay back down? We're on vacation. So I laid back down. We got up, went to Dollywood, finished up Dollywood. We ended up in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee shopping. We went into this place. There was a guy by name Spencer Williams. He was in the window and he was painting. And when we were, he was in there and I was standing there talking to him and a woman came up and tapped me on the shoulder and she goes, excuse me, sir, I have what you came in here to see. Well, I didn't come in to see anything. I came in to talk to the guy. Well, the next thing I know, she says, come to the back of the gallery with me. And she shows me this huge painting that he had painted at another time, had Jesus in the background, Lion of Judah in the front and the Ark of the Covenant right there in the middle. And I said, I'm not interested. And I ran out, told my wife, get in the car, we're leaving. <laughs> so... We go up to 321, up to the craftsman area. My wife went to, said, hey, there's that shop up there that has those paisley purses. Take me to that. So I went up there, and being the good husband that I am, the next day was our anniversary. So I said, it'd be a good day to get her something for tomorrow. So I go into the jewelry shop next door. The woman, she says, how you doing, sir? Welcome to the Smoky Mountains. And I said, oh, how are you? And she goes, well, I have what you came in here to see. I said, I didn't come in here to see nothing. I came to get my wife something for our anniversary. She goes, no, you came in here for this. And she held up a necklace. And I said, what is that? And she says, in the book of Numbers chapter 10, God called down to Moses to make two trumpets out of hammered silver to call people to the tabernacle. And I'm thinking, because he just sat upon the Ark of the Covenant. And I said, I'm not interested. And she goes, I didn't ask you if you were interested. 
And she put it around my neck and she said, God bless you. Have a wonderful time in the Smoky Mountains. So I walked next door and I said, Sherry, get in the car. We're leaving. <laughs> Lo and behold, six months later, a guy called me from the History Channel and said, somehow your name came up. I can't get it off my mind. You're supposed to be on an expedition on the trail of the Ark of the Covenant. One year later, we were on the expedition. Seven years later, I'm standing here in front of you. And this is what we do now. So we're going to take you to the world of Ethiopia, mentioned over 50 times in your Bible, sometimes under various different names. But I want to show you something. I want you to know how powerful this country is. It's a place you don't think of as a vacation spot. You think of Israel when you talk the Bible, not realizing that Ethiopia is very much in the Bible. A place that's not like a Disney world that you'd want to go to. A place that we have found that are hiding great secrets of the scriptures. Ethiopia was so powerful at one time, the Atlantic Ocean was named the Ethiopian Ocean until the medieval time period to justify slavery. And it was changed to the Atlantic Ocean or the Atlantis Ocean. So they removed the Ethiopians' name. They removed the Ethiopians and shrunk their country. The entire continent of Africa was Ethiopia at one point, except for Egypt. So they were a powerful, powerful people. And a God-ordained people in a lot of ways. So that's where we're taking you today. A beautiful people, a loving people, but somewhere stuck in time in a lot of ways. Anybody like beef jerky? Like, throw up your hands. Come on. Well, this is camel jerky. And for just a few cents, this young man will break off a piece of this for you. And it is the best stuff because you pay just a couple cents. That goes nowhere. It stays in your mouth all day long. <laughs> and by the way, we just came back from Ethiopia just a couple days ago. We spent Thanksgiving there. It was pretty awesome. We had ostrich instead of turkey. That didn't go over with my wife very well either. Not uncommon to drive down this street and you'll see... Wrapped shrouds out by the road, waiting for the dumpster to come by and pick up these children that have passed away. That's the life we're living in Ethiopia right now. But let's take you where the adventure began. I was asked to go on the exploration, and that's where it came into play. But I want you to understand this object right here. The Ark of the Covenant, one of the only things in the Bible that God said, this is how it will look, the shape, the design, everything. The Ark of the Covenant, though, is misunderstood in a lot of ways. From here to the floor is the Ark of the Covenant, the footholds on the floor. It was made of acacia wood, which is that tree right there, the Serengeti tree. You stick your hand up in there, it'll cut you to pieces. It's got a red texture to it. It was overlaid in gold. This here is not the Ark of the Covenant. This was made of one solid piece of gold. With two cherubim angels at the top. It is the throne of God, the mercy seat, the only place on the face of the earth that God physically descended and sat upon since the Garden of Eden. There's actually a lot of religions today that will look at that and walk around the room to stay away from it because they still look at even a replica as being holy. It was only to be seen by one day of the year by the high priest, the Holy of Holies. It had to be covered at any other time. The Levites were the only people to carry it. They carried it covered everywhere it went. God said, you will take care of my throne. Now, the power of the ark was amazing, but all of a sudden it disappeared from, from everything. The problem is a lot of people have come up with their own theories to what happened to it. Like Nebuchadnezzar or Shishak, 
the Pharaoh out of Egypt. But folks, if you read the Bible, the Bible is the timeline. The Bible does not mention, it mentions all kinds of things, but not, does not mention the most important thing in the temple being removed. So let's take you to the most likely time. Take the Bible and match it with history and you've got the answers. We know that the, the Ark of the Covenant or the throne was still in the temple during the time of Hezekiah. Because in 2 Kings chapter 19, he prayed to he who dwells between the two cherubims, the scripture says. From that point on, a few kings later, there was a man named uh, Manasseh who came into power. More than likely, that's the time the Ark disappeared through the scriptures. Because this man was an evil king, brought pagan gods in, tried to sacrifice his son in the temple. And what we find during this time period, the Levites would have never allowed the throne of God to be in the presence of evil such as that. Two kings later, a young boy named Josiah comes into power. Josiah had a horrible situation to deal with. Famine had come over the land. It's like God took his hand off of it. But in 2 Chronicles 35, he does something very unusual. He cries out to the Levites and says, don't let it be a burden upon your shoulders. They used to carry it on their shoulders. Don't let it be a burden upon your shoulders. Come back and serve your people Israel. Instantly, that should set off a light bulb to say, maybe it's not in Israel anymore. Maybe the throne of God is somewhere else. Well, in the same chapter of Second Chronicles 35, a pharaoh named Shishak, or excuse me, a pharaoh named Necho comes out of Egypt and he's up heading toward the Babylonians. No business with Israel at all. But Josiah confronts him right after he confronts the Levites. And the, this pharaoh sends in messengers to Josiah and says, don't meddle with me, Josiah. He said, I am getting my commands from, and he uses it twice in the scripture, a capital G God. So guess who probably has the Ark of the Covenant or the throne of God in his possession? A pharaoh out of Egypt. Ironically, at the exact same time in history, a temple had been built in the Elephantine Island on, in the Nile River. It matched the size of Solomon's temple. And in 410 BC, this temple was destroyed. No loss of life, just these ruins were left over. What they did find in the rubble on this island in the Nile River was the documents of the men of the Levites who were holding sacrificial ceremonies to he who dwells between the two cherubims. Guess where the ark was? In that little holy of holies in that temple in Egypt. But then it vanished. Reports were that if, now let me explain this to you. The Nile River was huge at this time. It went, it went from the south to the north. It goes into the Mediterranean Sea. It doesn't flow to the south. If you follow it straight down to its source, it, it starts in a place called Ethiopia. As a matter of fact, it starts right here at the Blue Nile Falls. There are a massive set of waterfalls. And it was reported that it came down into a place called Tanakirkos Island. And the Levites were holding sacrificial ceremonies to he who dwells between the two cherubims. But no one had ever found it. As a matter of fact, did you know there was never any evidence ever other than the Bible that the Ark of the Covenant or the throne of God ever existed? Just a lot of movies and what we know out of the scripture. In 314 AD, it was reported that King Azana, one of the powerful kings, came and took the ark and the throne 200 miles away to a place called Axum, Ethiopia. The building on the right is where they claim it's at still today. 
Now, remember I told you these are wonderful, loving people. But this little building is surrounded by a 10-foot-high iron fence. If you attempt to cross the fence, they are ordered 365 days a year to shoot, to kill anyone who enters this chamber. It's guarded by a man called the Guardian, believed to be of the Levitical line. He chooses a child after he becomes the Guardian for his purity. That child comes into that fence and never will leave there again until he dies. He will be raised by the guardian, taught by the guardian how to, how to pray in front of the throne. And then when he dies, the child steps into power. But never will he ever leave that compound, that little fenced-in area again. That man is off limits to the rest of the world. But somehow God has opened a door up to us. When we arrived there in February, folks, 15 minutes after we were at our hotel, a man knocked on the door and said, the guardian said, God says you were here. He summoned you to the church. We go, and this is the meeting right here. The man that we're meeting with is our translator. He's got his arm around me. The man with the whip is the high priest. He is the guardian of the church. And he says, I give you order to tell the world it's beginning to happen. He said... We are making preparations for the movement. What's that mean? I have no clue. All I know is I came back two weeks after I returned. My speaking engagements boomed from 18 to 45 and every Christian television station in the country started calling me. And then two days after we were at the church, we got word that they started bringing the ceremonial gold items out and cleaning them in the night, preparing them for a move with a coordination of something taking place soon in Israel. Don't have a clue. All I know is we are busy. And it has gotten really crazy for us. But let me share this with you. People say, how could the Ethiopians ever have any importance at all in the Bible with this? Well, let me show you what God's word says. In Isaiah chapter 18, I'm going to break this down for you. And remember, Isaiah is a prophet talking about the future. So watch what it says. Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of, tell me the country, Ethiopia. Now, again, he's talking about the future. A land shadowing with wings, some translations say buzzing wings. That's not correct. The actual Hebrew is covered in wings. Every morning, every night when you wake up and go to bed, the skies are swarming in Ethiopia with eagles everywhere. It is the most amazing thing you'll ever see. And then it says that send ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters. Folks, in Ethiopia today, it's one of the only places you will ever go in Lake Tana. This is a miniature version of a bulrush boat still used, papyrus boat still today. You go out last week, literally, we were with Lake Tana. You'll see these by the hundreds and they're out there fishing in them. And they can carry up to 20 people in some cases. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So we're talking about Ethiopia perfectly. And it says here, it says, Go ye swift messengers to a nation scattered and peeled, which tall and smooth skin, that's the Ethiopians, to a people terrible for the beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden down whose lands and rivers have spoiled. When you fly over Ethiopia, what that meted out and trodden down means a land that's scarred. It looks like it's a land that's scarred. Because it's canyons, huge, massive canyons everywhere. 
And then if you think about Ethiopia, what's the first thing you think of? You go to the Christian bookstore, they got a bottle of water there that's dirty. You think of poor water conditions. Then it says, all ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye when he lifts up a sign on the mountains and when he bloweth a what? A trumpet. Do you remember what the lady put around my neck? The trumpet necklace, remember that? Well, there's a treasury right next door to that church that we were in. I collapsed on the floor thinking I was having a heart attack. I literally was. It's an old musty building. It's got all these gold crowns, diamond encrusted, the kings. But I fell on the floor and I was face to face with two five and a half foot tall ancient hammered silver trumpets. The man walks over and says, these trumpets have sounded since the time of David, since the time of Solomon. And have sounded everywhere the Ark of the Covenant's ever moved. Okay. Well, now we're getting weird. I'd never seen anything like this in my life. So here's the trumpets. The mountains are the northern region of Ethiopia. And then it says, in that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts. The word present means in the Hebrew translation, it's an exalted high gift will be brought. But here's the key. It will be brought to the Lord of hosts, which is the coming Messiah, which is Jesus, to a place named the Lord of hosts, Mount Zion. That's the Holy of Holies where Jesus will reign from. Only one thing has ever been inside of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle at all or in the temple. That was the throne of God. No king has ever ruled from there, but one will. And his name is Jesus. So what did the Ethiopians have? Well, it appears to be the throne of God. People say to me all the time, say, Jim, that's only one scripture. Well, folks, as far as I'm concerned, every letter of God's word is important. But if you need more, I can give you five more if you need them. But here's another one. It says, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants or my servants, even the daughter of my dispersed shall, shall bring mine offering. The word offering is the same word as present, the exalted gift in, in Isaiah. But the word bring is a word called yabal. That translation means it will be a pomp and circumstance event when they return the throne to the Savior. On January 19th, every year, the Ethiopians celebrate the movement of the throne with hundreds of thousands of people wrapped in robe with replica trumpets, replica ark, marching it through the streets to a replica tabernacle, getting ready for the day. I want to show, show you a scripture. This scripture here is out of the book of John. John writes his beautiful gospel. The very last thing John says, he says, and there are many other things which Jesus did. The which should be written, every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Folks, it doesn't take a scholar to see that that says, by the way, there's a whole lot more Jesus did that's not in the Bible. It, it couldn't get it all in. There's a lot of years missing out of the Bible in the life of Christ. Matter of fact, almost 30 of them. So, what does it mean? Why did John write it? Well, over the last hundred years, there have been more artifacts, uh, locations, uh, scriptural finds, different things that they have found in any other time in history. Folks, we need to watch this and pay attention to it. We do know that as they came in from Matthew 2.13 to Luke 2.40, we know Christmas happened. Jesus was born. We know about the age of two, the wise men come through. Herod ordered all the children two and under to be killed because he didn't know who. Jesus was. 
So in Matthew 2.13, Joseph's been told to go into Egypt. Why? Because the next scripture is Luke 2.40, and then he's astonishing the men at 12 in the temple. So what happened in 10 years? Well, we know that from the time they went in over the last 100 years, they found amazing artifacts and amazing cave drawings and things of the life of this child of unusual nature with his family from Israel. This portion right here is at the very bottom of Egypt, right near the same island that the ark was stored on for a while. Underneath this church today is a cave system. That was the city. And it has the etchings of this unusual child and their family were there for about six months. But then they left and returned. Well, the next thing we learn is it was rumored that they had moved straight down the Nile River to a place called Lake Tana, Ethiopia. And there's a papyrus boat right there. To this island. Now, this lake is 100 miles north to south, 68 miles east to west. If you hang out down at the bottom where you see the green at the bottom, you'll get eaten by a 22-foot crocodile or a 6,000-pound hippo. If you like to fish, they got perch in this lake, three, four, five hundred pounds. It's amazing. But the island is on top, 60 foot high up on the other side of those cliffs. This is where coffee came from, by the way, is from this place right here. On the, on the island, when you get up there, you travel, you walk through a jungle. And here's what happened when three days after my collapse in front of the trumpets, we were walking through the jungle and I literally collapsed face first into the rocks. Well, next to this area was, a, was a, they have no metal on the island except what's in a treasury. The piece, the picture at the bottom left they showed us is the ephod harness of the high priest for the sacrificial ceremonies. The top left picture is the lever that the high priest would wash himself in. And what I'm holding on the right, what that is, is that a, that's a four and a half foot long meat fork that they would push through the meat for the burnt sacrifice. But look at the top of it. That is the almond bud symbol of Moses' brother Aaron. Now I asked the question, I said, okay, well, if these items are in here... Why aren't they with the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be 200 miles away, being a smart aleck? And they said when King Azana came here in 300, Jesus had already come and there was no need for sacrifice anymore. Duh. It's a good answer. So folks, what happens here, it's 15 years before I arrived on this island, a man found this. He said, well, if the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be here, there had to have a Holy of Holies. He found four pole holes perfectly carved into a V-shape measuring the exact dimensions of the Bible's Holy of Holies. But still no one had ever found any evidence that there had ever been an Ark of the Covenant. The left picture there, that's actually the tomb of the high priest that came and did the ceremonies there. The picture at the top, the tower part, is that piece right at the bottom. That's where they would dip the blood in for the sacrificial ceremonies and sprinkle it on top of the throne of God before the high priest would meet. But then it was this place right here where my life changed. This is where I collapsed. Now understand, right where I'm looking there, right where I'm looking was covered in grass, dirt, and leaves just piled up. No one had ever cleaned it. It was just like that. So I collapsed on my knees, and the, the guard there, he said to the high priest there, he says, he says, what is he doing? And our guide says, I don't know, what are you doing? Because I started grabbing the dirt and leaves and pushing it off. 
And I said, I don't know, but God dropped me here for a reason. I've never had stuff like this happen to me. Never. And I said, but I believe something's here. And the high priest said, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to have sat. When it was here in the, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. They never cleaned this off before. And when I cleaned it off, I found seven footholds measuring the exact dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. No one had ever had any evidence up until this point before. They said, well, you must be the one. So they took me back to the treasury, which we found is housing over 200 ancient scrolls and books. One of them, 1,900 years old, there were two copies made. One burned up in the Alexandrian fire. The other one is in this treasury on a remote island. What it basically tells us is an event took place on this island for three months and ten days that was so holy, so big, it will never have to happen again. I'm going to give you another scripture included with that scripture from John. This one is Luke 2.40, which I mentioned a minute ago. It says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Well, folks, in Isaiah chapter 7, it says that Jesus will be weaned into knowing what he is going to do. And then all of a sudden in Luke 2.40, he now knows what he's going to do. The grace of God is upon him because the next scripture, he's astonishing the men at the age of 12 in the temple. So somewhere between 2 and 12, Jesus found out what his purpose in life was. He now has the grace of God upon him. So let me take you back to the place where I collapsed. Folks, these aren't close to the biblical. You can see them right there, right about in the middle of the tape measure. You'll see one, and then at the end, you'll see the other one. There are seven carved footholds. The place where they claimed it was, never cleaned it off. I cleaned it off, and there is the first evidence the Ark of the Covenant ever existed. So what happens is we see here that this place is true to its form, but no one had any evidence. Let me take you back here. They allowed me to see this 1,900-year-old book because they believed I was sent there. The 1,900-year-old book is an ancient language that is pretty much extinct, the derivative of Hebrew. We come to find out there's a high priest in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time from Axum, Ethiopia that could possibly translate the language. Who would have thunk it? So he starts going through this very angry because he had never been allowed on the island. But for three and a half hours down to the greater Cincinnati library, he goes through and translates this. What it says, it says for three months and ten days, the bottom picture you'll see in a Tonqua papyrus boat, Jesus, Mary, another woman, Joseph never came to the island. He stayed on the mainland to farm for food and money to go home. With two oarsmen and a guiding angel came to the island of Tanakirkos, where the top picture, Jesus sat with his father daily as he was given the grace, wisdom, and knowledge upon the throne that he was getting ready to die for all of mankind. Where did Luke 2.40 happen? Where did Jesus find out your Savior was going to die? Remember John? Well, let me tell you why John wrote what he wrote in 2125. The other woman on the journey was Salome, his mother. He was, she's the wife of Zebedee. In the scriptures, when it says the other Mary, that's Salome's mom. She's Mary's cousin. 
And when Jesus was on the cross, who was the disciple he cried out to take care of his own mother? John, the only one that showed up. So what we find here is John had access to his mother and Jesus's mother that had all the answers to all the other things that Jesus did. The answer to John 21, 25. But then another man pops into that ancient book. His name is Pecurus, the penman. He was actually Peter's apprentice, John's student. He was the man most likely that penned the book of Revelation because he was with John on the island of Patmos. He penned this book 1,900 plus years ago. And what it says is astonishing. The last eight and a half lines of this book says, If anyone should add to or remove anything from these writings, their name will be removed from the book of God. And I told the man, I said, that's in our book of Revelation. He goes, the same man penned it here and later on Patmos penned it for John for the ending of Revelation. People ask me all the time, do you really believe what you're saying? I said, absolutely, I do. And here's the reason. Because he has opened up two Almost actually three major biblical finds that we have found in the back of caves and on top of mountains that the Ethiopians have been hiding. We just came back from one of them the other day. But that's not the important part. God continues to open a door up to our ministry and bless it in a way that we could have never dreamed. We have revolutionized in Ethiopia the opportunity for these right here. This, the northern region of Ethiopia is off limits. But somehow when we land, they're, they're ready for us. What this is, it's a Bible. It's a solar Bible. It can't be removed. A lot of the solar Bibles, they plug in and take the Bible off. This one, they push a button, has the story of God, the opportunity to know Christ. The story of Christ, the opportunity to know him again. The entire Old Testament, the entire New Testament, and a Bible study by pushing a, a button and it's read to them in their native tongue. And they believe it's God speaking to them. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Our goal is to put one of these in every hut or household. Because 70% of the country can't read. Right now we're leaving one per two to three hundred people. Then another organization said, man, we've been trying to get in northern Ethiopia for almost 20 years. Can you help us? These two girls heard God's voice to them. The word of God for the first time in February. And look at them. But then we had the, another grouping of people called Campus Crusade. It, they said, man, we can't, we can't believe what you're doing. Will you help us? Can you believe that? And then we started working last year, last November. And we're continuing it on. To, we believe if we can get an army of, of people, of ministers and preachers out spreading the gospel and starting churches in Ethiopia, we can get God's word in the place to the people who will return the throne and get them to know his word again. So right now, as of last week, we have about 140 to 60, 140 to 60 pastors ready to go. And we're hoping to have 705 in place by the end of 2017. These are some of the folks that we've been training. And then we are the only organization physically working with two of the lost tribes of the Jews, the tribe of Benjamin hidden away and so depressed in the mountains of Gondar, because people are just persecuting them so bad. They're Messianic Jews. 
And then the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Dan is led by this woman. And we led her to Christ in February. And we had no water. It was the dry season. She had two five-gallon buckets. She dumped out her grain. Climbed into the bucket. We poured one five-gallon bucket in there. And doused her with the other one. And she was baptized in the name of Christ. And look how happy she is. Wish we could be that happy for Christ. Folks, look at this. We're reaching Ethiopia like no other. We're in lepers' colonies. We're in women's hospitals. We're in places and we take a group with us. Anybody that wants to see what we do in February every year. And we'll take you to the Blue Nile Falls and baptize you if you want it. But God has opened up doors and we're delivering the word like nobody else. We've made friendships and opportunities that people have shaken their heads and said, what in the world is going on? But God has opened up doors and he's just put us in places. And people always ask us, how are you supported? We're not supported by the big organizations. We literally travel from church to church to church every day of our lives. And that's how we're supported by people that partner with us. I don't, I didn't say this in the first service this morning, but literally we sold our home and everything in it in July. We have no home and we just travel and share God's word. People think that's a little unusual, but that's called selling out. And I'll close with this. You ever wonder about the Magi? It's Christmas. I have to share this. Let me share you a little story. In the medieval time periods in the 1500s, they tried to remove the dark magi from all of the paintings. And I'm thankful as I look out there in the lobby, I see the nativity scene. And you notice there's always a dark magi. You ever wonder where he came from? Matter of fact, he's the only one kneeling out there. 20 years ago, this hillside gave away in Axum, Ethiopia. That tower was standing there. The Ethiopians said, oh, maybe we should dig. So they started to dig and they found this, a chamber with 17 tombs in it or 17 markings. And then they found this, this tomb. They found the pottery of the king. The pottery had etched in it the king's history that said in the seventh year of King Bazin, subnamed Balzadar's reign, a god gave his wife a calling to tell him to take the frankincense from his grove to a child who would be king in Israel. He met two other men on the journey who met with nine, making a total of 12 arriving to the child. The tomb on the left is the tomb of the Ethiopian eunuch because King Bazin's wife is named Candace. And in Acts chapter 8, she sent her eunuch back to Jerusalem to see if it was time to return the throne. So folks, on behalf of Adventures in Truth and our team, my wife, wherever she's at, and Tim and and the rest of our team, I thank you so much for allowing us to share. And if God left it in your heart, we'd love to have you a part of our team. God bless you. Thank you. Merry Christmas. And we want to thank you, Jim. It's, It's great to see... Um, not only seeking biblical truth, but providing biblical truth and so missional as well. Thank you so much, Jim. Can we just thank him one more time? And we look forward to...
We look forward to worshiping with you next weekend. Thank you all for being here. God bless you as you go.